All right, we are not going to restart the book of Titus. So those of you who say, I thought we already did this once. Uh, but what we were, are going to do, what I wanted to do this morning is talk about takeaways from Titus. We've gone through a whole book, and often you can lose the forest for the trees. And we've talked about so many different things. As I thought about and prayed about how to conclude this message on the, the book of Titus, I thought, Lord, what do, you want to take us away? what do you want us to take away from this book? It's a book where we really... Ha- keyed in on right doctrine leads to right living. But the questions we need to ask ourselves, number one, what do we do with a book like the letter of Paul to Titus as we finish this study? What was the purpose of it? Well, somebody had to preach something during the spring season, but that's not the purpose of the book. Why did Paul write this letter to Titus in the first place? And since the letter was written to Titus, what are we supposed to take away from it? Or is it just for our edification to have heard it? What are we supposed to do with the truths contained in this letter? When you look at the book of Titus, it seems like such a small letter. And yet in three chapters, Paul delves into some pretty heavy doctrines. Doctrines designed to change your life and mine. And then finally, and the question I'd really like you to ask this morning, will you embrace the truths of this book and allow them to change your life? Or will you walk away from it unchanged? Part of the reason to do our takeaways from Titus, as I looked at this book, I thought this week, what has God used in my life over the last four months as we've gone through the book of Titus? How has he challenged my thinking, hopefully more than challenged my thinking, changed my life and my lifestyle? And as we go through these books and these books of the New Testament, I remember reading a letter, I think it was a letter looking for funds, but it was a letter from John MacArthur this week, and it said something about the effect of he determined as he began his ministry that he was going to preach through every book in the New Testament, and it took him about 40 years. And I thought about that, and I thought, oh, Lord, what a wonderful thing that would be. I don't think I'll be here that long. But as I looked at that, I thought, is there any better way to grasp the doctrines of Scripture? Now, I don't think we should neglect the Old Testament either. And the reason he sent the letter was he's starting a whole bunch of series in the Old Testament. And he wants money to help put together his commentaries, I think. But I looked at that and I thought, there are so many rich things. The problem is, what do we do with them? How many times do we either read from the Scriptures or study together or listen to a sermon and it fails to impact our lives? We may have enjoyed the sermon. We may have been touched by the sermon. Some people put it this way. They'll say, you know, that sermon stepped on my toes. Some Christians, when their toes get stepped on, they fix what's going on so that their toes don't get stepped on again. Others have steel-toed shoes that they wear to Sunday morning. What are you? And I I say that because I look at this book, and I'm so afraid at times we're going to finish the study, we're going to go on, and we're going to forget what God had for us in that study. What's the main thought in this book? If you can only take one thing home with you and remember it from Titus, what should we take? And it might be different from each of us, but as I thought about the events of this week, I thought, for me, that's the thing I need to take away from Titus. This week, Tuesday, Charles Stanley went home to be with the Lord. Some of you, most of you probably heard Charles Stanley one time or another. The thing that fascinated me was someone told me about it, and I guess I never looked it up again until I heard he passed away. But some of you... Some of you couldn't have, but some of you might have been able to sit under his ministry once upon a time. Charles Stanley began his ministry at Fruitland Baptist Church. Not far from here. In fact, three years at the end of the, the, end of the 50s. I wasn't even born then. I love being able to say that. I wasn't born then, but some of you were here, okay? But for three years, and then God used him in different ministries. 
I remember I had a grandfather that I prayed for for years, and he would not talk about spiritual things. He just didn't. You, in his context of living, you didn't talk. That was personal. You didn't talk about spiritual things. And I remember having such a burden for him as, as he began failing as he was approaching 90 years of age. And, and one night, I used to go visit him on Thursday evenings. And we had this ritual. You know, he, he didn't drink Pepsi, but he had a six-pack of Pepsi in the, in the refrigerator. Because every Thursday night, I would come after dinner, grab a Pepsi. He'd bring out the chips, and we would watch. Now, I know he's fallen out of favor, but we would watch the Cosby Show, okay? And, and we'd do that together every Thursday night. And he looked forward to it, I looked forward to it, but finally after one of those episodes, I looked at him and I asked him if he knew the Lord. And he kind of gave me the same speech he always gave about not really wanting to talk about those things, but he said, if it makes you feel any better, every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, I listen to Charles Stanley and I believe he's telling the truth. And I think that was, I'm hoping that's his way, was his way of telling me that he believed in Jesus Christ. And as I thought about that, I kind of looked up some things on Stanley this week. And the one thing that struck me was one of the statements that are known as, is known as his legacy. When you th- and he taught for over 50 years. But the one phrase, and it was even in his obituary, was this. And it's a phrase that could come straight out of Titus. From Paul to us, the phrase was, obey God and leave all the consequences to him. As we look at this book and we finish this book up and we we go through just a few of the important points in this book, my challenge to you today is will you obey God and leave the consequences to him? I thought about that because we all know we need to obey God. And often we don't heed the first part of this admonition because we don't trust God with the second part of it. God, if I obey this book, that might change my life. And let's be honest. How many of us want to change? We kind of know we're not exactly where we ought to be, but don't you get comfortable in the routines you've got and in the way you're living, and at the end of the day, you look at it and say, well, you know, God's probably okay with me right now. He's probably not. And not with every aspect of our lives, because we're supposed to be growing to be more like Christ. Every time we get into this book, we're told to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But we get this mindset as Christians sometimes that, you know, if I showed up on Sunday morning and, wow, if I, if I made another service during the week, I'm really doing well. So I don't need to worry about this. And I love that idea of obey God. Whenever you hear something from this book, whenever you read something in this book, whenever the Holy Spirit impresses something on your heart and mind from this book... Do it. But that means change at times. Are we willing to change according to the truths that we've heard in this book? We want to believe sometimes that if we think things are just fine, so does God. And Paul writes this book to Titus because there were a whole bunch of people on Crete that were living that way. Paul had gone through an evangelized Crete. In his first missionary journey, he and Barnabas had gone through that island and established Christians and churches had started. And this letter, written near the end of Paul's ministry, he's sending Titus back there and saying, you need to put things in order. Because folks have gotten too comfortable with the way they are. False teaching has kind of crept in because people weren't being careful with the truth. They weren't checking things out. And so Paul's sending Titus, and what he, his message could have been to the churches... Obey God and leave all the consequences to him. So as we look at this book today, I want to look at a few things that we need to understand. I'm going to give you just basically three simple takeaways. I'm going to spend a lot of time going through three simple takeaways, but three takeaways from the book. Number one, we read verses one through five because it really gives us Paul's 
reason for writing this letter. Here's his motivation. And he said, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Paul says, here's what I do. Here's what my life is all about. My life is so that people will understand who God is, how he works, and come to Christ as Savior. That the grace of God will work in their hearts and lives. And as Paul is writing to Titus, his whole emphasis behind this is, Titus, teach people to understand who God really is. He's not who you make him out to be. And a lot of times, well, I think that God, we we should stop our sentence there. If you think that God is like or dislikes or is working in some way, you need to go and find the verse that says that. Because so often we've got crazy ideas that we just think, you know, God understands me. He does. And God understands that I struggle. He does. But he's not comfortable with you staying there. He wants you to be like Jesus Christ. In fact, he has predestined in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that you will be like Jesus Christ. And he's the one who's working on it with you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He will accomplish that which he's begun in your life. But Philippians chapter 2, he wants you to be working out your salvation, and then he's going to work in you while you do it. We have a responsibility. We need to obey God and then let him take care of all the consequences and trust him with those things. And Paul looks and he says, my whole being, everything I'm doing, my whole life is about the faith of God's elect, having the right kind of knowledge and doctrine, not so that they'll be smarter than the world around them, although you ought to be wiser if you've got this book in your heart. Not so that they'll be arrogant and higher and mightier than thou, but so that they will be able to look and say, godliness is what's permeating through my life. Godliness is what's changing my life. Being more and more like God, more and more like Jesus Christ every day. And Paul said, that's what I've dedicated myself to. And we need to understand that that's so important in our lives, knowing who God is, because it impacts this life and the life to come. He says, first of all here, that that truth will lead in accordance with godliness. And then right on the heels of that, in verse 2, what does he say? In the hope of eternal life, he wants us to be living right now, but realize that there's a much better future for us coming. If you haven't come to any of the Revelation study and haven't been able to experience it, you want to be there now. We're talking this week about the New Jerusalem, about what God has in store for his people for all of eternity. And there are so many crazy ideas about what that looks like. And there are so many things that have a grain of truth and a whole lot of speculation. But when you look at what's really there, it's magnificent. It's glorious. It's what gives us hope. And Paul said, I do what I do so people will live right now but have a hope in the future. Because wouldn't it be sad if the way we live right now is all we ever have? Struggling to be what we ought to be, praying about it, growing in Christ-likeness, but never quite exactly where we ought to be getting to. It's like that's not the end of things. It's the beginning. Because when we shall see him, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. Our bodies will be glorified. Sin will be gone. And Paul's teaching all of this as he gets to Titus. He says, you need to ingrain this in the lives of these people because you need to understand who God is, not from your ideas, but his ideas. And then understanding God demands a knowledge of his word. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Paul was looking at those believers, that, in that case in Ephesus, talking to Timothy and said, teach people to handle this book, to handle it properly. Don't go to this book with your agenda to find a verse that will support what you think. Go to this book to find out what you should think. There's a big difference. And Paul's looking and saying, that's what changes our lives. 
When we get into this book and say, God, speak to me. Teach me. Take my misconceptions and help me to see how you think. Take my lack of knowledge in some areas and impress it upon my heart and mind so that I will be what I ought to be in Christ. Not just so I'll learn. Learning is important, but as Paul goes to Titus and tells him to impart this to the folks that are on Crete, he's saying, learn these things so it'll change your lives. When was the last time the Word of God changed something in your life? We could sit for the next 20 minutes and ponder that. Because sometimes we can come up with something right away. Other times, it's been a while since we obeyed. We may have heard, we may have read, but have we obeyed? Have we changed? Have we made every effort to be like Christ as God works in and through us? And so it demands knowing his word. Understanding God and who he is and how he works and being obedient is also Colossians chapter 3.16, allowing the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. To be at home in our hearts. So that when we pull something from the scripture, it's not like, oh, I don't want to change that. You know, Lord, why are you stepping on that toe? That, that's the sacred toe. Leave that toe alone. Convict me about something else. What we need to do is go to this word and say, God, you know where my greatest needs are. Speak to my heart. You promised your spirit would do that. I want to go, and I love singing that song, Open My Eyes, Lord. Because so often we can find all of the faults in everybody around us, but we just, well, make a list of your faults this morning. I could pass out a half a sheet of paper and say, make a list of your faults, and most of us would stare at that paper for a long time before we wrote anything down. Why do we do that? Number one, either we can't think of anything because we're too busy being critical of everybody else around us and not examining the person that needs examining, or number two, we think, oh, if I write it down, somebody else might see it. Newsflash, they probably already know. But we need to find out what's going on in our lives and say, God, show me by your word. Convict me by your spirit. And then when you do that, help me to do that simple thing that we talked about. Obey and let you handle the consequences. If I ask for forgiveness from somebody for what I did, Lord, you don't know how they're going to react to that. Let God take care of the consequences. Lord, if I commit myself to coming to church, it's going to mess up with my schedule. Let God take care of the rest of the schedule. Lord, you know, I'm too busy to read your word every day, then you're probably too busy. But we don't want God to put his finger on those things. And yet, as Paul looked at those churches in Crete, he said, this is exactly what has to happen because I love these folks. How do we know? We read it last week. Paul said, greetings to all those who love us in Christ. And Paul's love was flowing out to them. And he's saying, you know what? I love you enough to tell you the truth. And that's a concept that we don't get often nowadays either. Most people, you know, if you love me enough, commiserate with me, pat me on the back, say, there, there, you're right, the rest of the world is wrong, and let people go on their way. And we're not helping anybody. Now, you shouldn't be ripping people apart and tearing them down all the time, but we ought to tell people the truth, and that's what Paul's all about here. You say, there's truth that needs to be handled from the Word of God. And again, you probably don't remember this. I read a prayer from a commentary as we began this before that I thought at the end, This is what we really need. The prayer is this, that each of you will fully understand what the Holy Spirit is saying through this part of his word. So that his revelation might lodge in your minds and bring greater obedience and faithfulness to the glory of our great God. If we go through this book and all these great truths lodge in your mind and they never bring forth greater obedience, then we've wasted our time. We've failed. We need to be obedient to the word and willing to understand what God thinks and how God works and how that applies to the way I think and the way I work. And then what do I need to do 
to line up with God. So that's that first idea that Paul goes through in here over and over again. And in order to do that, he said, people need to understand the importance of sound doctrine. I hesitate to say it, but you could probably empty out the church if I said, okay, we're finishing Titus today, and next Sunday we're going to start a whole series on the grand doctrines of the Word of God. And a lot of people would say, oh, I don't want to hear doctrine. I want to hear something practical. I don't want to hear doctrine. Doctrine's heavy. Newsflash, I mean, doctrine is what we do every time we stand up here and expose the Word of God. Given the truth. And that truth is so important. But we get this mindset. And Paul looks and he says to Titus in chapter 2, verse 1, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach what sound doctrine ought to do in lives to make a difference. Sometimes we don't like sound doctrine because I've heard it taught in such a way that it probably wasn't taught right. Not that the doctrine wasn't right, but if you look at doctrine as just stuffy old material that you've got to blow the dust off of to find out who God is and then let it collect with dust again, that's not what doctrine's for. The truths in this book are to permeate our hearts so that the Spirit of God can change us to be more like Christ. And so as we look at this, Paul says these kind of things. Number one, hold firm to the Word. It doesn't matter what people think around you. It doesn't matter who's going to get offended. Now, don't go around being offensive just to be offensive, but hold on to the truth and believe it and share it. Don't be ashamed of the truth. Hold fast to that truth. Then he said, give instruction in sound doctrine. Don't only know what this truth is, but what should it do? And that's kind of where, that, that's the stepping on our toes part. But this truth needs to come home to our hearts so that we can say, am I like Christ or am I not? And maybe this is just an encouragement to me this time, because I look and I say, you know, God's done a wonderful work in my life there. But maybe there's times, and there will be, it's not even a minute, there'll be times when you read this book and you say, wow, I'm not doing that. I don't think like that. But if that's how God thinks, and if that's what God wants us to do, we need to be obedient to it. And then finally, he told Timothy, and this is the hard part, rebuke those who contradict sound doctrine. Are there people that you know that have opinions? You know anybody who has an opinion? You know anybody who has a strong opinion? You know anybody who likes to share their opinions? And it's fun to sit around and share opinions. What do we do when somebody's opinion doesn't square with this book? And I've been there before. And sometimes we think about it and we squirm a little bit and we just keep our mouth shut and we don't say anything. But, you know, we just, yeah, I don't agree with that. What are we supposed to do, especially in the church? If somebody's opinion doesn't square with this book, then it needs to be rebuked. Now, don't go around beating people over the head with it. But share the truth with folks when it comes up. Share the truth with folks when the thinking of the world and their own thinking of the flesh has crept in and they're not thinking straight. And take them back to this book. Now, if you can't take them back to this book, then your opinion is no better than theirs. So don't take them to your opinions. But take them to the book. Because sound doctrine changes lives. Titus chapter 1, verse 9 through 10 is where Paul did all this. He told Timothy, you must hold firm to the trustworthy word is taught. Why would he have to tell Timothy that? Timothy's a minister of God. Timothy's traveled with Paul. Why would Paul have to tell that young man to hold firm? Because all of us like to be popular. All of us want to be liked. What happens when you tell somebody their opinion's wrong? How many strong opinion people do you know that like to be told they're wrong? And Paul looked at Timothy and said, if they're not lining up with this book, you rebuke them. And when you're doing that, you hold fast to that. Not because you want to be antagonistic. Not because you want to be the curmudgeon around there always bringing an opposite opinion. But because this truth is too important. 
So hold fast to this book. Hold fast to this truth and be able to give instructions. He tells Titus, when you go and talk to people, be able to give instructions. What does that imply? Get into this book so you know what it says. You ever have somebody tell you something and you think, that doesn't sound right, but you don't know how to put your finger on it? Get into this book until you can put your finger on it. And then hold fast to the truth. And then he says, finally, rebuke those who contradict it. All those people that you're thinking about with strong opinions, most of them don't want to change those opinions. They're there. They're their opinions. They're proud of those opinions. Some of those opinions they polish off at night before they go to bed. They're so proud of those opinions. And Paul said, you know what you need to do? See, these are the opinions you've got to be proud of. This is what you've got to hang on to. And he looked at that church and said, this whole church in Crete, it's got to be put back in order. And it's got to be put back in order by clinging to the truth. Hold fast to the truth, obey the truth, and let God take care of the consequences. So that's the first thing Paul gets into in this book. And that's the first thing, again, I hope you remember that. Secondly, Paul talks here about the importance of the church. How important is the church? How important is it for you to be committed to being here as the church? And again, that takes us back to chapter 2, and I'm not going to go through all that teaching again. But Paul looked and he said to Titus, Titus, talk to this church about the truth and make sure every generation gets involved. The older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women, everybody that's there needs to be involved in living for Jesus Christ and edifying one another and doing what they can do, and some of them in doing only what they can do because of the life experience that they have as older folks. And again... We got some older folks in our congregation. Raise your hand if you're an older folk. No, don't do that. Okay, but we got some older folks. There's wisdom in those older folks. You see those gray hairs? They got there for a reason. Going through life has imparted wisdom to some folks. And the younger folks ought to listen to these older folks. It take time. And our older folks ought to take time to get in with the younger folks so they can impart that wisdom. And be a part of their lives. And that happens as we gather together. Uh, people often ask me, how can I serve? And yet we've got programs that have to run in the church. That we, we have a nursery that we need to staff. You know, I, I love Leo, but he, he does better in there than in here usually. You know, I love him when he's in here. He sometimes amens when you guys won't. So I like having him in here. But, you know, it's a ministry that takes place. You know, there's ladies that take care of our food or we don't have our fellowship dinner. You know, there's stuff that goes on here, but every one of us ought to be ministering to one another. That's the ministry that's really important. That older generation with the younger generation. That older lady with another older lady that just needs encouragement. You ever have a bad week? You ever have a tough time? You ever look at this book and you start reading through the promises and they sound hollow? And you wonder what's going on. Sometimes we need a Christian brother or sister to come up alongside and minister to us. I've been there. But the God of this book is still right. And he still loves you with all his heart. And what he does is always right. We're about to start a new series. A couple of weeks, we're going to start a series in Job. Now, Job's an interesting book. Job's a heavy book. I'm not going to go verse through verse through Job. I'm telling you that right now. I'm going to try and pick up all the things as we go through. But if we get into chapters 4 through 30, some of you will leave my church. Okay? But Job's an important book because when we think of Job, what do we think about? Suffering. The book of Job, there's suffering in it, but that's not what that book's really about. That book's about a sovereign God is in control, and you need to see how God works. And when we look at the book of Job, we're going to look for God in every chapter. 
We're going to look for what God's doing in every chapter. We're going to look at why God's doing it. And the wonderful thing, and maybe not the wonderful thing for him, but as we study that book, you know the thing about Job that's so amazing? God doesn't explain himself to Job. And you get to the end of the book, and Job is a godly man. Now, I'm glad God doesn't stand before Satan and said, you know, have you seen Ross Bond? Go give him a workover and see how he does. But at the end of the book, Job wanted to know why. He questions God why. And God looks at him and says, Job, short answer in a lot of different ways, I don't have to answer for myself to you because I'm God and I've got this. And we look at these things and we say, that's how we need to help one another at times, remind people that God's got this. God's in control. He hasn't forgotten you. You ever feel forgotten? Now, most of us would never come through the back door and say, God forgot me this week. I'm having a tough time. But we can share a testimony that can let people know, I feel like God forgot me. What's our job? Our job is to encourage. Our job is to take folks back to the truth. Maybe our job is just to be there with them and help them out and have a listening ear and caring about them enough to carry them through, to bear one another's burdens. That's all the ministry that's going on is Paul looks and says, tell these folks that it's important. It's important to understand that we need to be together as a church because you look at Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And Jesus said this, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. On this rock, who's going to build the church? Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. This place is his. Okay, and I know I referred to, I think I did earlier in the sermon, as my church or our church. It's his church. We're his folks. We're his people. There's not a Sunday I don't look out at whoever's in the congregation, whether few or many, and I feel the burden of the fact that these are God's folks. You are nothing but an under-shepherd. Don't mess this up, because he's the shepherd. And you've got to point people back to the shepherd. And part of being together is pointing one another to the man who said, I will build my church. And how is he doing that? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27. Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You realize every time we get together, it ought to be a reminder to each other that God loves you. No matter what you're going through, God loves his church. And we are his church. He doesn't love this building. He doesn't care about the building. It's the people inside. And said, God, as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for. And then we get an interesting purpose statement. Because sometimes we believe Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for us so that we could have eternal life and live any way we want to now. Is that what Paul says? He said here in chapter 5, he gave himself up for that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus Christ died for you to make you like Jesus Christ, to sanctify you, to wash you by the water of the word. That's why this doctrine is so important. You want to be more like Christ? Get into the word. Let the spirit work in your heart. Take the truths of Titus and say, does my life line up with this or doesn't it? And work to obey God and let him take care of the consequences. Don't worry about what somebody else is going to think. Don't worry about how things will react. We talked about giving last week, and I'm not going to harp on giving, but the fact is some of us don't give because we don't trust God. You know, if I gave God more than that five bucks, I'll never make it next week. That's not what he said. But you'll never see the truth until you trust him. Well, if I trust God and you fill in the blank, get into this book and see what God said. David said that he looked and he's never seen 
the people of God begging for bread because God took care of them. And so here we've got all these promises that we need to cling to as we do these things. And we need to remember that as we cling to those promises that Christ is on a mission to present himself a bride with only a few spots and a couple wrinkles. Is that what it says? We are going to be the bride of Christ one day without any spot or without any wrinkle. How does that happen? That happens through God working in and through us. That's because Christ is going to do that. Look at the way he said that in Ephesians 5. He said that he might sanctify her. Jesus Christ is at work in your life. He uses his word. He uses his spirit. And the question becomes, are you willing to obey God and let him take care of the consequences? And so here we go again, looking at this. Why the church? Well, Paul put a huge importance on the church. You know, Paul dedicated himself to the establishment of churches his whole life. Jesus Christ met him on the road to Damascus. He confronted him. He said, Paul, I want you to take my gospel to the Gentiles. And every part where Paul went, he took the gospel out. He gave it to the Jew. He gave it to the Greek. And they planted churches. Almost all of the letters that Paul didn't, a few he wrote to his men who were in the ministry, one to a friend and the rest of it to churches. Because Paul said the church is important because it's Christ's church. And I need to be committed to this body of believers to do what I need to do if I'm going to grow, if I'm going to be what I ought to be. He sent Titus there years later. Why did Paul send Titus and write this whole letter? Because he loved the churches. Not the buildings, the people in the churches. And Paul desperately wanted us to be like Jesus Christ. That's why that letter's here for us today. Because so many of these things apply to our lives still today. And we need to look at them and we need to believe those things. Why do we do what we do at Bethany Bible Church? You ever wonder that? You know, what's that pastor up to this week? He had too much time. He made another change. What did he do that for? You know, what's he up to? Can, can I share with you? I share this with the folks in the membership class all the time, and I think, you know, we don't share that enough in here. Why do we do what we do? Why do we have a Sunday morning service? Some of you are wondering, yeah, I wonder why. You know, we have a Sunday morning service to worship God together as a corporate body. We have a Sunday morning service to get together and to learn. We have a Sunday morning service to commit ourselves to the truths of this book. We have a Sunday morning service to gather together and minister to one another. There's a lot that takes place here on a Sunday morning. From the time we walk in the doors, some of you at 10, 59, and 59 seconds, to the time we leave, some of you after 1 o'clock in the afternoon. But what's going on here? We ought to be worshiping God on Sunday morning. We ought to be encouraging one another. We ought to be praising the Lord. We ought to be praying. We ought to be getting into this word, committing ourselves to this truth. That's why we do Sunday morning where we do it. That's why we do it how we do it. What about Sunday night? Oh, don't get on me about that again. We pray on Sunday night. Again, when we pray on Sunday night, those of you who have been here, we pray on Sunday night. Now, Ben's going to make us sing a few songs But that's a good thing. We praise the Lord, and a lot of times we'll share some praises, and then we share some prayer requests, and we get to praying. Because God's commanded us to pray. Because the New Testament church gave us an example over and over again of corporately getting together to pray. And so on Sunday nights, we get together and we pray. And there's purpose to that. And if you miss that, you miss part of what's going on in the body of Christ. And God answers some of those prayers. We were sitting in a membership class just a couple hours ago. And one of the men looked up and said, you know what? These folks here, they're an answer to prayer. And I prayed in these back rooms with some of these men that God would head to our church as he sees fit. 
Not to give us workers, not to fill our building, but so that as a body of Christ we can continue functioning together and be what we ought to be and make a difference in this community for Jesus Christ. And that was an answer to prayer. As folks come up here and give their testimonies, you ought to be thinking to yourselves, it's a wonderful thing and I love their testimonies. And that's an answer to prayer. God did that. You know how many churches aren't growing? You know how many churches can't figure out why things aren't happening? And part of our prayer, part of my prayer has always been, God, I want you to do such a work. The people look and they say, that's not the pastor. That's not the deacons. That's God at work. And listen to some of these testimonies. It's not a credit to me. It's not a credit to the deacons. God's been at work and he's bringing folks in and it's exciting. And then Wednesday night. Why do we do Wednesday night Bible study? How many of you are tired on Wednesday nights? Can I tell you how many Wednesday nights about 4 o'clock I'm tired and I want to go home? I thought they're going to notice if I'm not here. I can't get away with this. But you know how many times at the end of Wednesday night at about 7.30 or quarter to 8, I look back and say, praise God that we had such a wonderful time in the Word. Because what we're doing on Wednesday night is we're getting into this Word and we're studying together. And we're breaking off into groups. So we've got the kids studying the Word of God. And we've got the teenagers studying the Word of God. And we've got adults in here studying the Word of God and asking questions and moving through the book, not so that we can be smarter than the rest of the church, but we want God to change our lives. And there's purpose behind all of that. The week is long. And again, there's times when we've had Bible study on Sunday night, and I felt like I got this with, I just took out a fire hose, and I let everybody have it in the morning, and I let them have it in the end of the night, and I can't remember anything by the next day, because I gave them too much, and I love having Bible study on Wednesday nights, because it's a time to touch base with the Word of God in the middle of the week, and to encourage one another, and, and to work through those things. So that's why we do some of what we do here. There's other things we don't do right now, and part of the reason for that, again, as we're getting drawn this to a close, a part of the reason for that is over COVID, I took a big step back and I said, what is our purpose as a church? We could be too busy. Some of you started raising your hand when I talked about older Christians. We older folks wear out a lot faster than these younger folks. So what should we concentrate on? What's truly important and what is just extra program running around? Let's go back to what God says is truly important. So that's why we're doing what we're doing. Because worshiping God and ministering to one another is important. Don't miss that. Praying together is vital. That's where the power from the church comes from. Don't miss that. Studying together on Wednesday night is God's going to help carry us through. And again, I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to say I missed you. And I will if I think you were sick or if there's a problem. But if you just don't feel like coming, I'm not going to beat you up every week on it. Because you know what? You need to want to be here. You need to experience the enthusiasm of being here. And until you get to the point where you look and say, I'm here because I want to be here and God's working in my life, I don't want to make Pharisees out of you. I don't. But I want you to be here because God's doing a work. And I want you to pray about it. And I want you to say, you know what, do, do I belong here or I don't? You say, well, come on, you've got to understand my life's too busy during the week for all that stuff. Then maybe your life's too busy. After 90 years of ministry, Charles Stanley went home to be with the Lord. What do you think mattered to him at that point? Even as he got near the end of his life. That phrase I shared with you, he said, you know what mattered to me? Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and helping people learn to walk with him as their Lord. And all the rest of it's trappings. And we get so caught up in the things of this world. And Paul says, don't do that. Commit yourselves to Jesus Christ. Commit yourselves to knowing who God is. Commit yourselves to the church. And then just briefly as we finish up, understand that grace ought to change your life. And I plan on going through a whole bunch of verses that we already went through. So I hope you remember it because I'm not going to do that anymore this morning. 
What I want you to realize is look at just one more one verse as we finish up. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 and verse 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The grace of God that saved us ought to change our lives. And when we look and say, you know what, I'm just too busy to do those other things, then we need to go back and say, am I learning from grace? Is grace training me and teaching me? Is it teaching me to deny ungodliness and worldly lust? And that lust is probably, it's a good translation, but it doesn't convey in our minds what's totally there. The idea of lust, we think, oh, the sexual sins and terrible things. It's desires. It's all these things that make us too busy to be what we ought to be in Christ. And grace ought to teach us to deny some of those things so we can be what we ought to be in Christ. Can I meddle for just a minute? He said, Pastor, you've been meddling all morning. You probably have. I, I talk to so many folks with so many reasons that they can't connect to church. And I see them struggle in their lives, and my heart goes out to them. And I think until they're committed to Christ enough to be committed to his people, they're going to struggle. And I think of it from the perspective, so I, be, I can't make it, Pastor. And if you're one of these, please forgive me now. I'll ask for that ahead of time. But you know, it really stands out to me. I, I, I've been through several different churches, some very, very large churches. I've visited a whole lot of shut-ins. And shut-in ladies, I study, I, I, it amazes me. Some of them are truly shut-in. And I, and I go there and I try to be a blessing. What frustrates me as a pastor is when I go to visit a shut-in. And she says, yeah, pastor, I can't sit through my, a service for an hour. And, oh, can we cut this short? Because i got a two-hour hair appointment I have to be at in an hour. And I never miss that. It's every week. And I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on here? And those sweet little ladies, they just smile at me. And I think, I'm, I'm going to lose that battle. But it, it's choices. And, and Paul's looking at Titus and saying, teach this church to make the right choices because eternal things are so much more important than the pressing things that we think are so important. To let grace work in our lives so that we will be godly. And part of that, right in the middle of it, he's talked all through chapter 2, and then in the middle of this portion, he says, be self-controlled, and that's where it is. What is it that's more important in your life than being with Jesus Christ's saints, than doing what he's asked you to do. The only way you'll ever get by that is by self-control, obeying Jesus Christ, and letting the consequences be taken care of by him. Let's take that message away from this book. The message of we want to be godly, we want to be what Christ wants us to be, we want to be on the road that we ought to be, and if that means obeying and trusting God for the consequences, what a legacy. I read that simple legacy and I thought about that, and I thought, I don't have a church of hundreds. I don't have millions of people watching me on TV. But you know what? If my purpose in life can be to teach people to obey God and trust him with the consequences, what a wonderful ministry and legacy. May we all leave here striving to obey God and trusting an almighty, loving God with the consequences. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this book. It is practical. It does step on our toes. It was meant to. So God, I pray that you'll help us to examine our lives. There's not, it wasn't a coincidence that this church in Crete was struggling. They were struggling because they weren't obeying. They weren't doing what they needed to do. And Paul sent some godly men to teach them to do that because he loved them. Lord, may we remember who you are. May we love you. May we love you enough to not only read your word, but Lord, help us to obey regardless of the consequences in our schedules and lives, because you are the sovereign God who has given us our marching orders. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.